Well, good morning, and thank you for your, your very friendly introduction, Julian. Julian. We're here this morning, aren't we? We come together um, to dwell upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, to read the word of God, and to honor him. And as we come together, I came here this morning, and you're very, very fortunate. The writing on that back screen is huge. So if you're visually challenged, you can still see it. But that one there, if there's a hymn that I'm not sure of the words, I'm like John Redwood singing. <laughs> Do you remember him? John Redwood singing the national anthem. He was like a goldfish, wasn't he? Like that, his mouth was moving, but there's no sound coming out. And that's how I felt this morning on one of those hymns at least. But as you can see, there's a map on the board. And if you're like me, at school you hated geography. Right? And you probably still do. I don't. I, lo I love geography now. I wish I'd taken more interest when I was at school. But we can all say that, can't we? But we're looking this morning at Acts and chapter 17, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. It's got a great name, hasn't it? The book of Acts. And that's because it's the Acts and the doings of the Apostles in the early church. So we read a few verses from it. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but we are going to be dealing with the whole chapter. And verse 1 of the book of Acts, chapter 17, says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath, Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few, but the Jews which believed not were moved with envy, and they took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and they gathered a company, and they set all the city on an uproar, and they assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down, are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the others, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night, unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Sure, God will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Father, we praise thee this morning that we're able to turn to the scriptures, to thy holy word, and we're able to read it. We pray that you will illuminate the pages now as we seek to learn more of thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this man, the apostle Paul, who went into all the world as he was bidden to preach the gospel to the Jew first 
and also to the Gentile. We praise you that we have a record in your word this morning, and we can follow the journeys that he took, and we can see the words that he preached, and we can see the people that he spoke to, and we read at the end of it all that some believed. We also read that many did not believe, and many were left with questions in their mind, but they never turned to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. We pray that if there is such here this morning, our God, if there is just one who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour, but as a result of the foolishness of preaching this morning, that they might turn to him for salvation. We ask thy blessing upon us now. We pray that you will cool our, our spirits and our minds, our God, and that we'll be able to see Jesus in the pages of Scripture. For we ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. So we've got the map on the board. I hope we can make head or tail of it. Maybe not. I'll just point out a few things to you. The Apostle Paul went on three missionary journeys. And this is the second of those missionary journeys. But we're only looking at three cities that he went to. And the first one is there, Amphipolis and Apollonia, if I pronounce it right, is that one, that one there. And there was no synagogue in those two cities. So he went from there, he passed through Amphipolis and he went to Thessalonica and he stayed there a while and he went uh, to, the, he went to the synagogue to speak to the Jewish people about their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that distance from there to there is roughly 65 miles. Probably, well, he definitely would have done that on foot. There's no way he would have sailed all around there. So he went from there to there, 65 miles. Then he went from there, from Thessalonica, he went to this city called Berea, an ancient city of Macedonia, what we now call Greece. And he preached again. And he went to the synagogue and he preached to the people there. And that's a distance of about 43 miles. And then from there, he went all the way down to Athens. Now, he possibly could have gone by sea or he may have walked, we are not told. But whichever way, it's about 313 miles. That's a long walk by... Alicia Hallett's standards, I think, isn't it? But he might have gone by sea, in which it would have taken him about three or four days, maybe. 330 miles. So he did that for the sake of the gospel. And on the gospel, the gospel commission, he went into all the world and preached the gospel. I want to look in a little bit of detail at each one of those cities, the cities that he went to. So first of all, we read in verse 1 of chapter 17 that he went to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Verse 2 says, And as Paul's manner was, and Paul as his manner was, went in unto the synagogue, and three Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So in other words, every time he came into a new town or city, he went immediately to the synagogue 
and he spoke with the Jews. And the result was more or less the same right the way through the book of the Acts. He went to the synagogue and he was either threatened with stoning, he was beaten, or he was kicked out of the synagogue. And then he went to the ordinary people of the city, the Gentiles of that city, and he preached to them. And it's no different in this city of Thessalonica. And he opened the scriptures and he told the people that Christ must needs have suffered. So he's speaking to the Jews here at this moment. And he says, Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. He is your Messiah. He is the Messiah of Israel. And he was telling them that. But they didn't want to listen in the main. But thank God, in verse 4 it says, and some believed. And isn't that always the case? Whether the gospel is preached to Jew or Gentile, to bond or free, some will believe and some will not and some will walk away. And that's where the gospel is, isn't it? As we preach the gospel in Bethany every week, Christ is preached and upheld as the only saviour of sinners. And because of that, people will take offence. They, they are offended by the gospel. To the Jews, the gospel was a stumbling block. To the Gentiles or the Greeks, it was a rock of offence. The Greeks hated it because of their intellect. They couldn't understand. They wanted to rationalise Jesus. They wanted to rationalise God. They wanted to rationalise the word of God. And we got people like that today, haven't we? There are many people in the world today Oh, they, if I can't understand it, if I can't understand it immediately, I've got no interest in it. And we want to live by sight and not live by faith. And the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why we must read the word of God. That's why we read the word of God every time we come together in Bethany. And we see Paul here preaching his heart out to these Jews wanting them to come to the Savior, wanting them to know Christ. Some of them believed, and they consorted with Paul and Silas, who were with Paul. And some of the others who believed were Greeks. And it says, many of the chief women, of the chief women, not a few. But what about those Jews who were in the majority, who believed not? The Bible puts it very clearly, doesn't it? There were those who believed not. They were moved with envy against Paul. And I love this phrase. It comes from antiquity. It's not a phrase we would use today. It says, those Jews that were moved with envy, they took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. And not nice people, obviously, and they gathered a company, and they set all the city in an uproar. Why did the preaching of the gospel create an uproar in the city? Because they hated the Lord Jesus Christ. And because they hated the Lord Jesus Christ, they hated the apostle Paul also. So we see 
that there was an uproar. And evidently from the passage, the Apostle Paul and those that were with him were staying with a man called Jason. And they sought out Jason. They knew where Jason's house was and they sought to bring him out to the people. They wanted the Apostle Paul and they wanted uh, Silas and Timothy to come out to face, to face the people because they would evidently have stoned them or beaten them or even killed them. And they say in verse 7, whom Jason hath received and these, these people who are preaching the gospel, they all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Now this is the chief among the Jews who's saying this, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And we go back to the cross, and the cross was only 20-odd years previous to when this was written, or to when Paul went to Thessalonica, only 20 years ago. And yet, the Jews are saying, we have no king but Caesar. We will not have this man to reign over us. Christ died at the cross, and this is, what pre this is what Paul preached to these people. And yet, they're saying, we have no king but Caesar. We don't want this man to reign over us. What a terrible, terrible thing that God's own people have turned against their own Messiah and did not want him. And listen to verse 8 very carefully. They troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So the gospel was preached and they troubled the rulers of the people and the rulers of the city. So the gospel was preached. I wonder how troubled the government will be today because we are preaching the gospel. They should be troubled. They should be troubled. But they are not, are they? We're in our little church here in Bethany and we preach the word of God week in, week out. And yet, the people outside, the government, the government of the day, they couldn't care less. Not interested in the word of God. And as long as we keep ourselves very much to ourselves within the confines of these four walls, we don't see too much trouble. Paul saw trouble because he stuck his head above the parapet and he went into the community and he preached the gospel to the people. And we see here that the government of the day and the rulers were troubled when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason, that's another word for putting him in handcuffs or whatever, and of the others, they let Paul and Silas go. And the brethren... That's the ones who had believed in Thessalonica. It says there uh, in verse 10, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas, probably for their own safety by night, and to the second city, the city called Berea. And there it is there. So they escaped by night, probably again on foot across land, and they went to Berea, a little city, an ancient city, 
It's got a different name today. Can't remember what it is, but it's got a different name today. And when they came to Berea, let's read what happened to them. It says in verse 10, halfway through there, they came by night to Berea, who coming hither, where do you think Paul went? The first place that Paul went when he got to Berea, he went again to the synagogue of the Jews. And these people in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. They wanted to hear the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. And pastor very often mentions this verse, doesn't he? And those people from Berea who were more noble than those from Thessalonica. And what did they do? They listened to what he had to say. And then they went home and they checked to see if the things that he was saying was right. How often do we do that? No matter who stands on the pulpit, we should go home and check, just like the Bereans. And they checked daily in the scriptures it's almost a commandment, isn't it, when we look at that verse? And they received the word with all readiness in verse 11 of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily. If we wanted any indication on how often we should read the word of God, it's found in that very verse. They wanted to know whether those things which were spoken by the Apostle Paul were right or not, and they checked them with the scriptures. And in Thessalonica, we, wrote, we read these words, some of them believed. But in Berea, which was probably a smaller city, I would imagine, I'm not sure, it says in verse 12, therefore many of them believed. So I prayed, and when I prayed, I spoke of the foolishness of preaching. That's what the Bible calls it through the foolishness of preaching, some are saved. And through the foolishness of preaching, in Acts 17, in Thessalonica, some were saved. But in Berea, many of them believed, in verse 12, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. So there were people saved as a result of the preaching of the gospel. But when the Jews from the first city, from Thessalonica, heard that Paul had gone and preached in Berea. They traveled themselves that, that 45 miles or so, and they came to give Paul more persecution and more trouble. It says in verse 13, but when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also, and they stirred up the people. So Paul is in trouble again. Wherever he preached the gospel, trouble followed. But he always preached the word of God because he was the man of God, and he preached it with the aid of the Spirit of God. And then immediately in verse 14, it says, the brethren sent away Paul again to go as it were to the sea. The sea on our map there is 20 miles from Berea or thereabouts. So he went to the sea. 
but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. So Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea, but Paul went to the sea. And from then, he took another journey of 300-odd miles, and he went to the city of Athens. And at this time, Athens was a city of 20,000 people. Before the Romans attacked it, back in AD 164, uh, must be, what, nearly 200 years prior to this, to this being written, there were almost 250,000 people, a quarter of a million people living in the city of Athens. It had been much depleted, and now there was about 20,000 people living there. But it was still a highly respected city in that there were very many men in charge of Athens who were men of high intellect. Many of them, their names we would know today. Not that I can remember any of them, but uh, we, shouldn't, we, should, we would know them today if we read them out. And so it was highly, a highly respected place, Athens. And uh, Paul, this was the fifth city that Paul was to be driven out of. The fifth city he'd come to and the fifth city that he was to be driven out of. It was conquered by Rome in 146 BC and still very largely under Roman occupation. So it was a melting pot of different, different religions, uh, different peoples, from the Romans to the Greeks to the Jews, and many, many other people lived there. And Paul, again, was to be driven out. And it says, and then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. So he went from Berea to the sea, and then he traveled up 313 miles or so down to Athens. And he received a commandment unto Silas and Timothy for to come to him. He sent a commandment, sorry, in verse 15, unto Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed down to Athens. Because Paul, even on his initial sight of the city of Athens, he could see that there was a work to be done. And why could he see that there was a work to be done? Well, it tells us in verse 16. It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred up in him. When he saw the city wholly given over to idolatry, idolatry was the name of the game in this city of Athens. There were idols everywhere, idols to many, many gods. Therefore Paul disputed in the synagogue, verse 17, with the Jews and with the devout people and in the market daily with them that met with him. He was a, a courageous man, wasn't he? To stand before all those people and debate and speak about the word of God and speak about the Lord Jesus Christ in a hostile, completely hostile environment. Now, when we speak in Bethany, we're speaking in a usually friendly environment. But wait until you say something wrong and somebody jumps on you when you come from the pulpit. It doesn't happen very often, but thank God for that. That we're of, of one mind, aren't we? Or we should be of one mind in one place. And we're here to read the word of God and understand the word of God 
and to see in it his way of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 17, he disputed in the marketplace and in the synagogue with the Jews. But there were various philosophies and religions in this place called Athens, the capital city of Greece. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered Paul. Now, to explain what these philosophers were like, there are many philosophers and many philosophies in the world today. But these, uh, these people, these Epicureans, they were interested only in pleasure and comfort and tranquility and a quiet life. And the Stoics were more interested in morality and duty and dignity. And in this world that we live today, there are many, many different philosophies of life, aren't there? And some of them have some good points in them. But they are nothing like the word that we have got in our hand, the word of God. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And when we come together, I very often think we've come together and God, through his word, is discerning the thoughts and intents of our heart, the intentions of our heart. Why are we here? I ask the question so often, why are we here this morning? And God knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. We might be here because our parents have said, you've got to go to church this morning. You haven't been for four weeks already. Get to church. We might be there because of that. We might be there because a husband or wife has bribed us with lunch or something to come. We might be here. We, we, might, we might be here for very many reasons. But we might be here because it's what we always do. That's not a good reason to be here, is it? It's good that everybody is here this morning and everybody is welcome. It's good that people are listening online to the word of God and the gospel. But I hope we're here because we want to be here. We want to be here. Does anybody remember um, a message of Dennis Petty? And he was talking about his... He was talking about our want to. Somebody nod if they remember the message. Good. Right? He was talking about our want to. I wondered what he was on about. He got up on the pulpit and he started talking about our want to. What is, what is our want to? What, what is our want to? What is the want to of the man who plays golf? Why does he get up at half past five in the morning, clean his clubs and his shoes, and he goes to play golf? Because he wants to. We should be here this morning because we want to. We want to be in the presence of God where two or three are gathered together in his name. We should want to be here. We shouldn't be spasmodic Christians here one day, then missing four weeks or two months and not here again. Maybe there's good reason. God knows if that's the case. Anyway, we see Paul here speaking to these men these men of philosophy, these men of great learning, and he holds his own. It's interesting, from a secular point of view, people, will, people tell you 
that the Apostle Paul, even though they're not believers in the Word of God, not believers in the Bible, not believers in the things that we believe here this morning, they will tell you that Paul, right through history, was probably one of the most intellectual men that ever lived, probably in the top ten. That is interesting, isn't it? But it wasn't his intellect that got him through these discussions and these debates and these arguments that he got into with these intellectual people. It was the word of God and the power of God and the spirit of God. And he spoke to them and he reasoned with them. And they said, what will this babbler say? What will this man say? He's got nothing to tell us. He can't convince us of anything. And others said, he seemeth to be a setter forth of other gods, strange gods. Well, they were well used to strange gods in this place called Athens because they had gods everywhere and idols everywhere. And why did they say that? Because Paul preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. He preached unto them the Lord Jesus and the resurrection. But they wanted to hear more about what he said. You see, the thing with Athens was this. They wanted something new constantly. No different to us in this world today. We want something new. If we've got the latest iPhone, we want the next number up, don't we? I don't, but many people do. Brother Andrew doesn't. Seen, have you seen Brother Andrew's phone, his mobile phone? I don't know whether he's even got one, but uh, yeah. But we've got, you know, this is what we want. We want the next new thing, the next new model, the next new thing that comes along. And we want to talk about it and we want to discuss it. And we're all the same, aren't we? We want to discuss it. And these people in Greece, they wanted to know what this was all about. Some of them wanted to discuss it with the Apostle Paul. Some of, them, some of them, they wanted to bring him to Mars Hill, as we'll see in a moment. Mars Hill is the Roman name for it. It's the Areopagus is what the Greek name is for it. And they brought him to the Areopagus, where they discussed these things. And even when you go to Greece today, you see, you will always see old men drinking coffee or maybe something stronger first thing in the morning, and they're putting the world to rights. And, and they speak, and they speak about... And Greece, at the end of the day, is the place where we're told democracy started. It's an amazing place, isn't it? But they speak about these things, and they argue about these things all day long. And Paul was brought, in verse 19, to Mars Hill, or the Areopagus. And it says, and they took Paul, and they brought him unto Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. So they're saying, we haven't heard about this before. Come and tell us all about it. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. Now, if there's somebody here this morning who's never heard the gospel, the things we're talking about might be strange to your ears. The things of Christ, the things of the cross, the things of the word of God. But these people... We have to accept that they may be genuine when they say, we would like to know, therefore, what these things mean. What are you talking about, Paul? We don't understand. Tell us more about it. 
And then there's a, a parenthesis in verse 21, and it says, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So they wanted to hear new philosophies. They wanted, and we read, don't we? We read books and we listen to things and we look on Google and every day we can find some new thing. But those some new things are distracting us and taking us away from the word of God and from the things of God. So there we see that they wanted some new th thing and they wanted to hear what Paul had to say. And they were swamped in this city by idols. And as I pass by, he says, Paul says, he stands up in the midst of them and he says, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are much too superstitious. He's speaking to them about their idol worship and their many gods. And he says, as I pass by, I beheld your devotions or your objects and I found an altar with this inscription. What did it say? To the unknown God. And Paul turns that on his head and he says, Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. And he is showing to them God, the God of heaven. And he goes right back to Genesis. He said, This is the God that made the world. And all things that are therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, he dwelleth not in temples made with hands. What is he saying to them? That God, who made heaven and earth, does not need your exquisite buildings to dwell in. He does not need your idols made with hands. He doesn't need them at all. He is the God who created all things by the word of his power, and he goes on to say in verse 25, neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Think of that this morning, quietly. He has given to us life and breath and all things. Our very next breath is dependent upon God. But look again at that verse 25. As though God needed anything from man. It's become fashionable to say that from the pulpit even, ah, oh, God needs you, and he needs you to do this, and he needs you to do that. Let me tell you that a God who needed me for anything would not be God at all. He would not be God at all. He does not need us. He does not need us to do things for him. He could make the very stones of the temple cry out if he wanted to do. And he says, as if he needed anything, seeing he is the one that giveth to all life and breath and all things. He goes on to say, he hath made of one blood all nations of men. All the nations of the earth are one blood. For to dwell on all the face of the earth, and he hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. We live in Wales, don't we? And we're privileged to live in Wales, a land of relative peace 
and harmony and a place where we can still preach the gospel and speak openly about the things of God. We could be living in a day like the Apostle Paul lived in and be persecuted everywhere he went. But God appointed the bounds of men's habitations. And he still appoints the bounds of men's habitations. In Genesis, there where all the nations of the world were formed. We won't look at it now. He's talking about Genesis again. Where the nations of the world were formed and their habitations were given to them by God. And where boundaries have changed, and they have changed over thousands of years, they've changed because God has allowed them to change. Might have been that men fought wars over them, but God has allowed them to be exactly where they are at this very moment in time. Verse 27, just a few verses to go. That men should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Where, he, where is he this morning? The Apostle Paul says, though he be not far from every one of us. Now, even as Christians today in Bethany, we might be far from God. We might be sitting in our seats. We might not be listening to the words, the words, the word of God. We might not be listening to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ died at that place called Calvary for each one of us. And he is telling us in that verse, he is not far from us. So we might be far from him, but he is not far from us. Even when we're not in Bethany, he's not far from any one of us. If we draw nigh to him, he will draw nigh to each one of us. So we see him there. Something else from verse 27. It's like that verse in Isaiah 55 and verse 6. You know it well. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord for he will have mercy upon him and he will abundantly pardon. Do we need the mercy of God this morning? Do we need his pardon? We certainly do. Whether we are saved or unsaved, we need the mercy of God. We need his pardon for sin. And we see Isaiah there, another man who preached under the duress of the people and under the persecution of the people. But he faithfully preached the word of God. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. And he says, even some of your... Go back to verse... 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. We live, our mobility is dependent on him, our breath is dependent on him, our very being, it's in him we are. And you might think there that he's talking to believers from the sound of it, but he's not. He's talking to the unbeliever as well. It's in God that they live. Every man, woman, and child, it's in God that they live and move and have their being. And he, 
he refers to their own poets. And he says, as certain of your own poets have also said, we are the offspring of God. And he goes on in that theme in verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. And these people had images of gold and silver and stone, and they had art that they had produced. And he's saying, leave all your idols to one side and concentrate on the God within whom is your breath and your very being. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. So God, Paul is saying to these Athenians, he's saying, God has overlooked all your idols. God has overlooked them. But he now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. All men everywhere. That's all mankind to repent. So Paul is calling these people to repentance. And he's saying, you want, to, you want to worship your idols, but I am calling upon you to repent. Darren, Darren spoke about repentance the other day as a complete turn and a complete change of the mind. The mind is going that way. And our minds this morning might be going that way. But God is calling on us to turn our minds towards God and towards the things of God. True repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do we stand tonight, this morning even? Where do we stand this morning in relation to these things? Do we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior? Have we seen the plan of salvation that God has outlined in his word? Or are we far away? Well, today, even this Sunday morning, we can draw nigh by the blood of his cross. And he commandeth, it's an imperative. God is commanding, charging all men everywhere to repent. And there's a verse that is quoted very often. Because God hath appointed a day, verse 31. God hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. And Paul points them back again to that man whom God hath ordained, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. So there's a day appointed for those unbelievers, for those who will not accept the word of God and the Son of God, when God will judge the world and he will judge it righteously through the Lord Jesus Christ. God hath raised him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, we have heard the word of God this morning. What did they do when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, that Christ had been raised from the dead, and there was resurrection available to all men? Some mocked. Others said, we will hear thee again. We will listen to you again on this matter. 
So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit, certain men clave unto Paul and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So there are three groups of people there. And there are always three groups of people when the gospel is preached. There will always be those that mock and deride the Son of God. They were at the cross. There were many of them. There will always be those who say, oh, we'll, we'll come and listen again. We're not completely convinced of the argument of the gospel or the preaching of the gospel. And they say, we'll come and listen to you again. Talk to me again about that matter. Tomorrow never comes. And very often for those who say that, there will be no second chance. They've rejected the Son of God by walking away. But thank God, in verse 34 it says, Howbeit certain men claved unto him, and what's the word there? And believed. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed and they accepted him as their savior. So we've been to three cities. And in those three cities, the first one, Thessalonica, we've seen that some of them believed. Some of them believed. It was a tarred, tough old city for Paul to work in. And yet some of them believed. We've seen in verse 12 that Paul went to Berea, the second city. And therefore, many of them believed. And we've seen in this city of Athens, verse 34 again, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. And we've got two, the names of two of them written there, Dionysius and Damaris. They believed. So for all Paul's suffering, and difficulties in these cities, it was worth it. For men and women were saved. And that is why we preach the gospel. When we go back to Thessalonica, and you read that account again, and think on that account again, the Jews in the synagogue might have thought that they'd won. They'd removed Paul from their city. They'd arrested the man who'd looked after Paul when he was in the city. And they would have felt a sense of victory. We've got rid of him out of our city. But turn over for one moment to Thessalonians. Thessalonica, we read about in the, as the first city. And we turn over to the city of, Thessal, uh, of Thessalonica, and we turn to the book of Thessalonians. Paul writes to these people, and there's so much in it, but we're not going to read much of it now. Um, in fact, we'll read from verse 17, just a couple of verses. And we know that from this little book, that Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. So he'd been there the first time, which we read about. He'd been to Thessalonica, and he'd preached, and he'd had some results, but the majority were against him, and he got kicked out of the city. Verse 17, he says, 
But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart. So Paul was still praying and thinking of these, these Thessalonians who had turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. Endeavor the more abundantly to see you face to face, to see your face with great desire. Verse 18, wherefore we would have come unto you. Even I, Paul, would have come again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? And Paul says, for ye are our glory and our joy. So we know that as a result of the preaching of the gospel in these three cities, there were those that trusted Christ as Savior. And we preached the gospel week by week in Bethany. And we preached the word of God, and some are added to the number, but many reject him. Nothing has changed, has it? It's no different. And we are in a very, very blessed place this morning in that we see very little persecution. But those days are coming when the churches will be persecuted again. But we pray that, that God will be with each one of us, that as we seek to preach the gospel, that God will give us courage and strength by the Holy Spirit that men and women might still be saved. So God will add his blessing to the reading of his word. We've looked at the map. We've seen where we've been. And there we were. He came through Amphipolis. Not much is said about that. And he came to Thessalonica. And he came to Thessalonica and he spoke to people there. And some were saved. He went to Berea and many were saved. And he came all the way down to Athens. And there he preached to large numbers of people. And again... There were those that were saved. We praise God that he is still saving souls today. And he will continue to save souls until he comes again for the church. Amen. Now we'll sing our last hymn, please. I don't know whether I can read it. I can't see the words on the board of it. Sound the battle cry. See, the foe is nigh. Raise the standard high for the Lord. Gird your armor on. Stand firm, everyone. Rest your cause upon his holy word. We looked at his holy word this morning. I'm sure Brian will look at his holy word again tonight and that we might see in it Jesus. Amen.
Thank you. 